Hi, and welcome to the newest edition of the SIS Baseball Podcast. I'm Mark Simon, Senior Research Analyst for Sports Info Solutions. The goal of this podcast is to both inform and entertain. Our company develops analytics and provides them to NLB teams, media, and fantasy baseball outlets. We'll give you a peek into our world, talk to important people around the industry about analytics storylines, and try to show you why analytics are interesting and fun. On today's show, we'll be joined by Kansas City Royals General Manager Deaton Moore. We'll talk about the state of the team, how the Royals use analytics in different areas, and advice he has for people who want to work in baseball. Andrew Kine and I will follow that up by talking about SIS's newest book, The Fielding Bible, Volume 5, coming this spring. We'll begin the show with a segment we like to call Batter Up! This month, I'm going to use this segment to reiterate something that we've discussed previously, but bears repeating. Sports Info Solutions has changed the way it calculates defensive runs saved for infielders. This is a big deal. We're now able to take pre-pitch positioning into account. It allows us to separate skill from where a player was playing. We can now tell you how many runs a player saves with his throwing. Here's three things I learned in looking at our new data on infielders. Matt Chapman is really good. That's number one. He's number one. He saved 34 runs in 2019. That was nearly double Nolan Arenado's total, and Arenado's great. What separates Chapman from other third basemen is that his arm is so good that it allows him to make plays down the third base line that other third basemen simply can't make. Two, Padres shortstop Fernando Tatis Jr. has the potential to be amazing, but his arm held him back last year. Last season, Tatis was credited with 11 runs saved from range. That's very good, but his arm cost him 13 runs. The good news is that Tatis is young and still has time to learn and improve, and the rest of his game is awesome. Tatis isn't the only one with arm issues. New Philly shortstop Didi Gregorius cost the Yankees seven runs with his arm and 10 overall last season. Remember that Gregorius was coming back from Tommy John surgery, so some trouble was to be expected. Thanks to the data we now have, we can study things like how infielders returning from Tommy John fare with their throwing, perhaps some future work for us. To learn more about this sort of information, go to fieldingbible.com and check out the front page and the statistics section, and look for more work from us on our Twitter and on the Sports Info Solutions blog. Dayton Moore is in his 15th season as general manager of the Kansas City Royals. He joins us on the SIS Baseball Podcast. It's an interesting time for the Royals, a time of transition with a new owner, John Sherman, and transition on the field with the Royals having hired Mike Matheny to replace Ned Yost. Uh, Dayton, my first question would be, what's the state of the Royals at the present time and what are the things that you're most excited about? I'm, I'm really excited, always excited about raising a, a new generation of, of players. I mean, that's that's something that I've grown up in the game with as a coach and, and fascinated with uh, development, all aspects of development when it as it pertains uh, to players. Um, you know, we, we love um, our fan base, our community, and we feel like that it's our responsibility to make sure that, uh, you know, that this next generation of Royals players continues to, to understand the importance of, of the team in this community, to connect with our fans, to grow the game, uh, and, uh, you know, to play the game, uh, certainly with, uh, with passion 
and uh, with a, a way, as I said, to inspire others to want to follow this game and to, and to fall in love with this game. And so it's, it, it's, uh, it's a very exciting time uh, for us. I mean, a lot of people talk about we're in our second rebuild. I mean, truthfully, I don't, I view that is, is an incorrect statement because when we came here in, in June of 06, I mean, we really weren't rebuilding. I mean, because there was nothing to rebuild from. I mean, we were, we were in the early processes of just, uh, you know, creating, uh, a stable, uh, front office, adding scouts in the field. We had no international program to speak of. We had no analytical program. Uh, our processes and player development were, really uh lacked vision um and so you know we had to hire a, a lot of new people uh, a lot of our scouts didn't have computers uh all, a lot of our scouts didn't have radar guns uh so we were just building i mean the royals hadn't been to the playoffs uh since 1985 uh, we, we don't necessarily need to go into the whys of that. Um, but, uh, we, we made a conscious decision, uh, obviously to come here to Kansas city, to do something special, to breathe life into an organization that at one time was a model organization in baseball in the late seventies and eighties. And, uh, we were able to, to hire a lot of people. We were given uh, a lot of support. Uh, from the Glass family to do what we needed to do to build infrastructure uh, to uh, bring on uh, a lot of new people uh, in all parts of the world uh, to add to our front office in a, in a very uh, aggressive and cutting-edge way. And then, uh, you know, we, we know the, the fruits of that uh, with, obviously, uh, back-to-back World Series and then a World Series championship in 2015. And so, you know, we are where we are at this point for, for different reasons. Uh, nothing that we're, we're shocked by. We knew we were going to end up being in this position. And so our, our desire now is to, to uh, do it better than we did before. And we simply want to have sustained success, uh, you know, as we, as we go forward, knowing that we are in the early stages of, of a rebuild, um, but uh, we're excited about it, and uh, you know I'm really pleased uh, with uh, the way new ownership has has came in here and supported, you know what we want to do, and uh, we're very uh, enthused and invigorated. I want to talk about Mike Matheny, and one of the interesting things from his press conference was <clears throat> that he talked about attacking some of his weaknesses, and one of those was uh, the analytic aspect of being a manager. I'm curious uh, about two things with this. One. Uh, your impressions of his attacking of his weaknesses, and two, what you think a major league manager should know about analytics uh, in 2020 at this time with so much of it uh, being prevalent these days? Well, I think the most successful people are always learning. They are very strong and honest self-evaluators. And so we all try to do that. We encourage, you know, all of our, our people in leadership positions to make sure that we look in the mirror and we're very honest with, with who we are, what we need to do in this game. Mike's no different. I think Mike Matheny's an incredible leader. Uh, truthfully, if, if Mike, if guys like Mike Matheny aren't in our game, uh, I, I worry about the future of our game. That's how much I feel about him as a leader. And, uh, but Mike, uh, you know, obviously felt that he needed to 
um, learn a different aspect of the game, learn to understand uh, how other teams and other people evaluate players. He grew up in a, a very traditional way in the game. He shouldn't apologize for that. Um, in fact, that's going to continue to serve him well. The one thing that I've always felt is if you if you if you're marinated in scouting and player development, uh, you, you're always going to be able to fall back on that. It's you. Can, everybody can learn the numbers. It's it's much easier to evaluate today than it was 20 and, and 30 years ago uh, because of all the technology and all the data uh, that we have at our fingertips. Fingertips. Uh, and it's it's all fascinating, and it, it's all really important to validate the judgment of human beings. And so, uh, Mike understands that. But truthfully, I think the most important thing for for Mike Matheny uh, is to to understand um, the performance science aspect of it. I mean, we have so much information now today that has been proven, whether it be sleep studies, whether it be certainly the the importance of nutrition, the rhythm and timing of, of the body and the mind uh, working in this game every single day, over 162 games. Uh, and so, you know, Mike has uh, spent a lot of time with Austin Driggers, who is our director of performance science, and, and we continue to, to grow that area as well. Uh, but uh, you know, understanding all the data is, is, is super important, especially when it comes to positioning, uh, pitch design, uh, as it pertains to uh, matchups and, and so forth, things that can help you uh, uh, as you, you know, try to win baseball games. Mike was uh, somewhat reluctant when he was with the Cardinals to utilize defensive shifts. The Royals two years ago uh, seemed to embrace it with uh, embrace defensive shifting and positioning with a a, a much greater zest uh, than they had in the past. How are those two gonna gonna mesh moving forward? Well, Mike, uh, we we've spent a lot of time with Mike over the last year and a half now uh, of, of dissecting and analyzing shifts and, and as it pertains to, you know, who our personnel are as well. And so, I mean, in an ideal world, you'd love to have uh, every player on the field with 60 or 70 range and uh, just allow their naturalness to kind of take over and, and, and do what they do and make plays and kind of the, uh, you know, but, but the athletes that we have in our game today are, uh, diminishing somewhat. I mean, they, they really are. We don't we don't get the best athletes to play our game here in the United States. Uh, our best athletes are coming from a lot of the areas in Latin America. And so with that being said, um, we have to rely on the data. We have to uh, position ourselves much better. We have to take advantage of uh, what the numbers say with the, with regard to positioning. So that's just smart. I mean, that's just common sense. And so, and Mike understands that. And I think, you know, once you, you get the, the, uh, the data presented of, uh, you know, where you should play uh, certain players and, and so forth, um, you know, it just, it just makes sense. And you just got to lay the, the information out and trust it. How do you evaluate when uh, whether shifts are working for your team or not? Well, we, we have an audit that we go through uh, every two weeks. Uh, our analytical department um, 
uh, tracks that, and we sat down uh, with our major league coaching staff and and um, and evaluate it and um, and uh, talk to our coaches about it, and our coaches talk to our players about it, and it's uh, it's a process that we trust uh, you know Dr. Mack with and and his staff, and we give them full authority uh, working with Scott Sharp and and our coaching staff to make the necessary adjustments that uh, that we need to to make, but you know we're we're often, you know, we're up in the suite and we have um, uh, uh, all the information in front of us. And so as the next hitter is approaching the batter's box, I mean, we know exactly where uh, our defenders ought to be positioned uh, before the first pitch is thrown. And so we're evaluating it in the suite. Another area in which uh, analytics has seemed to increase uh, in terms of usage uh, is in the draft. Uh, In 2018, your first 11 picks were college players. 2019, your first pick was a high school stud, and then 15 college players after that. How do analytics uh, shape your uh, draft strategy? Well, I think you always want to take the best player available, and and usually you're in a position to do that, certainly in the first two rounds. it used to be the first five rounds, but the economics of the the draft have changed so much, and so um, you know you're, you're you're relying more, you know, on all the information, the technology, the data that we have um, available to us. I mean, we're we're honestly tracking guys uh, by the time they're 14 years old uh, at, at this point in time, I and mean, we have a scouting staff that is focused on you know 14 15 year olds now growing up as an area scout my first year as an area scout was 1994 and uh, our scouting director at the time chuck lamar uh, always impressed upon us to make sure that we had 14 and 15 year olds in our tryout camps and so we could begin to get to know them and so i it kind of goes full circle a little bit and so now with these kids playing at all these uh, tournaments and all the summer ball showcase events and all the technology that's set up i mean we can go back and and track you know uh, you know, their chase rates, their swing and miss, their hard hit. I mean, we can evaluate all of that, um, you know, as we, as we, you know, collect the information. And so now, uh, as uh, you know, all the colleges, the colleges have done a tremendous job of embracing the technology and the information and the data. And so uh, they have all the track man and, and all the advanced technology that is available today at their stadiums. And, and so, you know, we utilize it like, uh, you know, everybody else and, and uh, but I think that the main thing, you know, it, it's I've always felt and I can go back and, and talk about players, whether it be Chipper Jones or Brian McCann or Adam Wainwright or guys that, um, you know, I was fortunate to be able to see early on in their, their careers and before, in some cases, before they were signed, the Martin Prados of the world and the Elvis Andrews and the Rafael Fercals. And, and I can go back and, and, and even though technology really didn't exist at that point in time, I can tell you that those guys had a natural ability not to chase. They understood the most important part of hitting was to get a good pitch to hit. They didn't swing and miss a whole lot. Therefore, you didn't really need to work a whole lot on a two-strike approach because they were very comfortable hitting late in the counts. Therefore, they saw pitches. They got on base. And and those guys always had that tendency uh, before um, they even signed and um, but now the technology just kind of validates that judgment. And so when I would make presentations, 
whether it be to Paul Snyder or John Scherholtz about players, uh, yes, I would rely on my scouting judgment and my eye and what I've learned in scouting and player development, but I always use whatever statistics uh, and data that was available at the time to validate my judgment. And, and if, if my eyes weren't telling me something about a player, um, I used the, the, the numbers, the data, the statistics, if you will, to maybe lead me to a player that my eyes were under uh, valuing. And so uh, it's always been a huge part of it. And I'm, I'm thankful that we have all this information today uh, that just uh, comes alongside and, and can help us evaluate and uh, players and validate our judgment. Two other questions for Dayton Moore. Uh, what's the most interesting uh, baseball-related thing that you've read in the last year, uh, study or otherwise? You know, what, what the things that, that um, I spend a lot of time in leadership. I spend a lot of time in leadership books, studying leaders, uh, studying people that have been successful. Um, really, the only thing that I can offer people is is my mistakes, things that that I wish I could do better. Um, but you know, the thing that we're working a, a lot on, you know, as an organization, is just continuing to figure out how we can go to all lengths to uh, support you know, our players with regard to their development. And I, so I think the, the thing, the organizations are going to be most successful um, in the coming years are the ones that understand the importance of, of the psychology of the player, the behavioral science part of it is something that uh, we're spending a, a lot of time on. I mean, I've been dealing with 16 to 25 year olds are my entire professional life. I started as a college coach, uh, back in 1989, and then became an area scout with the Braves in '94. So, I've been dealing with this generation or this this uh, this age group, this demographic, my entire life, and and so I can see some of the the challenges that we have from uh, the behavioral science part of it whether the, the mental health of the player, if you will, uh, players that are dealing with anxiety, players that are dealing with sleeping disorders, players that are, that are medicating in, in ways that uh, are probably going to be harmful for them in the future. And so that's an area where I think that uh, we've got to do a much, much better job, not only uh, in baseball, but as a country and as a community. And so that's, uh, that's an area that I think is really important. I still I believe it's really important to come alongside the player and uh, support their spiritual needs. And so the spiritual part of it, the behavioral science part of it, the mental part of it, if you will, has always been really, really important. And I think it's going to be more important going forward. But but understand this, okay? So, again, I grew up in a very traditional way in this game. And as I said, I'm very proud of that. But when I was coaching third base and running an offense at, at George Mason University or the Winchester Royals in the Shenandoah Valley League, we were always scripting out at bats for certain players. Why? Because we we're trying to put them in a position to get in an advantage count or to walk or to drive the pitch count up uh, on the, uh, with the opposing pitcher and uh, trying to get our guys in a position to get on base. So on base percentage has always been a very important part of, of how I've looked at this game. And as I said before, growing up in the scouting world, using statistics to validate my judgment uh, is always uh, 
been uh, extremely important for uh, our success as, as evaluators. But for, as far as the future and, and things that, that we evaluate, um, I, again, I think I go back to the performance science part of it, the behavioral science part of it. I mean, those are the areas where I think is, is going to be really important you know, going forward. And for people that want to work in the game that are in that uh, college age demographic, just out of school, graduate school, uh, is that something that you would say a point of emphasis uh, to add on besides learning scouting and, and a lot of the more traditional things that you're talking about? You know, people ask me all the time, how do you get into the game? And, and uh, I mean, you, you literally get letters weekly. Um, from individuals and, and so I'm excited about that and I'm always in, uh, love to pass on information and and uh, I don't discourage anybody because I, I think that um, you can be successful in this game coming from you know a lot of different backgrounds but I think it's important to to, to learn the game to go to the ballpark to ask questions uh, to be around uh, diff- people with with different ideas different viewpoints pick their brain uh, understand that we're all different by design and you must must embrace that, and and so the diversity part of uh, of, of the game is, is really crucial for thriving in successful teams and organizations and front offices, and so be open to, to new ideas and, and to learning all aspects um, you know of the game, and so that's ultimately what's going to set you apart. Ask questions, listen, uh, don't be the first to give your opinion all the time. Um, in fact, uh, you know I can remember being a part when I first came down to the front office in uh, in 1996 to be the assistant director of scouting with the Braves. And you can imagine the intellectual talent that was in that front office. And there were times where I felt completely overmatched and um, because of some of the expertise of people, whether it be Paul Snyder and Bill LaJoy and John Sherholtz and Bobby Cox and Roy Clark, and I can go on and on, Donnie Williams, guys that are all Hall of Famers. And uh, I just remember... Uh, telling myself at some point at one point in time that look you know what uh just listen take in information um uh, when you're asked questions then answer and then sooner or later uh, people are going to uh, understand your value and appreciate the way you handle yourself and, and and just be a part of the team and do whatever you have to do uh to uh to bring value and, and usually that's listening asking questions, uh, gaining information, and then when your opinion is asked, you're prepared to give it. And then, uh, you know, uh, that's that's how you earn and, and gain respect. Dayton Moore, the general manager of the Kansas City Royals, thank you for joining us. Okay, thank you, Mark. Everybody's favorite baseball publication is back and ready to help you through the offseason. The 2020 Bill James Handbook is available now from ActaSports.com. This year's big feature, a look at our new part system, which provides the best publicly available evaluation of infielder defense out there. Curious about which infielders are really the best at playing in the field? We've got you covered. Also, check out the winners of the 2019 Fielding Bible Award essays on pace of play, the Hall of Fame, and more from Bill James and the Sports Info Solutions team of research experts. We've got 2020 pitcher and hitter projections, complete career data on every major leaguer and top prospect, and every leaderboard you could possibly want. That's the 2020 Bill James Handbook, available at bookstores now at actasports.com or wherever you order books online. 
And I'm now joined by Andrew Kine, Research Associate uh, here at Sports Info Solutions. We're going to talk about the project that we've been working on uh, for the last uh, bit and that we're going to continue working on uh, for the rest of this month uh, into February. We are re- working on Fielding Bible Volume 5. This will be the fifth book in a series that John Dewan started here at uh, Sports Info Solutions a number of years ago. It is essentially a baseball defensive encyclopedia. Uh, everything you wanted to know, whether it be statistical, analytical, uh, there are essays. Uh, we've added some components to this book that are going to be different from previous books, including transcripts of the player interviews that we did here on the Sports Info Solutions podcast. Austin Hedges, Nick Ahmed, Kevin Pillar, Cabrian Hayes, and special bonus, I'm kind of psyched by this, uh, I wanted to talk to an all-time great about what goes into being great defensively. And we were able to get Ozzy Smith, thanks to Eduardo Perez for setting that up. Uh, it was really cool to get the chance to talk to him. We also have an essay in this book for every team. So regardless of which team you like, you're covered. And whether that's talking about, as I mentioned before, Fernando Tatis uh, and his struggles, uh, or the Blue Jays' young players and how they fared defensively, or Freddie Freeman's excellence at first base, uh, you name it. It's well covered in this book. Uh, we hope that you get a chance to take a look at it. It'll be out March 1st. A lot of really good things in it uh, and very much looking forward to it. Andrew's done some work for it too. Yeah, we've been putting a lot of time in on this. And I think the one thing that I think will be interesting for people to read are some of our team newsletters that we send out every month to our team clients. And we'll be putting in uh, some of the past editions of those into the book. Uh, the, past, or the last Fielding Bible came out almost five years ago now. So we basically have five years worth of uh, these newsletters that, that we've built up and, and we'll be putting some of those in things like uh, studies on pitch framing, shift accuracy, aging curves, uh, defensive park factors, all sorts of different things that we've kind of um, kept private uh, in our research, but we'll be putting out there. And I think uh, as a baseball fan, those are things that I would be most interested in, in reading about and seeing what we've done uh, in that regard, but but also a lot of other really cool articles I think we'll be able to have. Uh, some are being repurposed, things that you've probably already seen like on our blog or uh, some of the Q&As, like Mark said, on our podcast, but also some new uh, original stuff that we're doing. Mark's doing a lot of good work there. Uh, so I think we'll be able to uh, bring a lot of new defensive information to the table, and I think it'll be a nice read for baseball fans. If you have the question of why does this player rate this way, Chances are, in the 30 essays that we, that we did, one for each team, we got you covered. I, I did one on Mike Trout. Uh, I mentioned Freddie Freeman before, Tatis. Uh, the Diamondbacks uh, have a number of really good defenders. The Dodgers, why were the Dodgers so good defensively? It's very well covered in this book. Yeah, and also a, a big thing and a big reason why we're doing it is to kind of put out new information on the part system, which we've uh, unveiled this offseason and have talked about a little bit on this podcast too. So that's a very uh, big component of this, and you can check out those new numbers on fieldingbible.com, um, but they'll also be very uh, well uh, touched upon in, in the new book. If you're a newcomer to defensive analytics or you're a veteran uh, understanding who's been uh, following it for a long time, I think you'll, find, you'll both be able to find something in this book. I really I wanted to focus it on uh, at least the parts that I did on things that a fan could take and then watch a game and say, okay, this 
is something I learned from this book that I can now take into how I watch games. Uh, and I think uh, that we've done that. There'll be a few surprises in the book as well that uh, still being worked on, uh, and we're very much looking forward to it. Anyway, let's talk uh, viewer mail, because we did get uh, one listener email in a uh, request for those that we put out the other day. Uh, Andrew will uh, handle that. So we got a question from Gerald Garner, who asked, what percentage of a pitcher's defense relates to his ability to manage the running game? Really good question. And to answer it kind of from our defensive run save perspective, uh, the way that we handle um, DRS for pitchers is, is basically through four components. There's the range component, which is now the part system. Uh, there's a stolen base run saved component, which is essentially that, uh, managing the running game. There's also bunt run saved, their ability to make plays on bunts. And then there's also the good fielding play, defensive misplay uh, component, which all players get in their DRS, and that's based on our good fielding plays and defensive misplay system here at BIS. Um, so just looking at the past five years worth for pitchers, um, pitchers who pitched more than 100 innings in a season and, and sort of summing up all of their DRS and seeing how each of those can. Uh, components breaks out it kind of comes out to about half of their run saved come from that range component which is now part and then about 30 percent of their run saved come from that stolen base managing the running game component so it's about 30 percent and then the other 20 percent comes from fielding bunts and gfps um, but at least from the drs perspective it comes out to about 30 percent uh, of a pitcher's defensive ability coming from managing the running game Obviously, there's other ways that you can think about it. It doesn't all just have to be um, kind of how we've drawn it up in DRS. I know one thing that Mark likes to talk about in a pitcher's defense is basically his ability to strike people out and keeping uh, the defense from even being involved. Uh, so there's different theoretical ways that that uh, you can think about it, but that's kind of how we've um, handled it in DRS with those four components. And we've seen over the past few years that it's about 30% of DRS comes from managing the running game. And then with someone like Noah Syndergaard, it's a bigger number. The guys that are really bad at managing the running game, it becomes a bigger number uh, because they just can't. Uh, and he's kind of the classic example of that. Negative five, negative six uh, of his total, which will be around the same, uh, tends to be from stolen bases because it's such a big weakness uh, for him. Anyway, uh, thanks for the uh, tweeted question. And this wraps up the SIS Baseball Podcast for today. We'll have a couple more episodes before the 2020 season starts. Thanks to Dayton Moore for joining us, Andrew Kine for uh, helping out, and Justin Stein, our producer. We'll see you down the road. Thank you for tuning in to the SIS Baseball Podcast. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. If you have any questions, email the show at mark at sportsinfosolutions.com or tweet us at sportsinfo underscore SIS. 